So I had this whole store of memories of these things. So I, I just got a manila envelope and I sat at home exactly as I'd done when I was 15. I'd be getting the first line down, stop the cassette, write it down, play the next line, write it down. And I thought, I haven't done this since I was 15. And it was a great feeling. It was like, wow, I love this. Welcome to this week's One Name is Fab. I'm Ed Shin. And I'm John Stone. I'm back from Orlando. Great show. If you get a chance to go and see McCartney on this run, do it. Right, but you've missed the Orlando show. Uh, yes, you have missed the Orlando show, unless you're going back in time. Both when we're recording this and when you're going to get this, the Orlando show will have been at least a couple days, maybe a week in the past. If you want to get our immediate reactions, Kit and I did a live stream from the Airbnb uh, there's about 45 minutes. It's on her feed and it's on our group feed. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, if you can go back in time, there are other concerts you might want to check out first. Yeah. Yeah. You might want to go back to the cavern first. I, you know, I, I would. Maybe Hamburg. I, I would do either of those before Shea, but that's a completely different topic. And there's some gangsters in Hamburg. I'm not sure I really want to. <laughs> mess with them yeah huh? yeah uh, well then, then then we'd have to, we'd have to go to the early show we'd have to be there before 11 o'clock when they kick all the 18 year olds out so you know i don't think the gangsters were hanging around although they might have been right ringo's also started his tour the beatles are touring like mad he gave a press conference at casino rama before the first show the big news out of that is that his ep due out later this year is finished so he is going to put out just a series of eps that's what he said. So he's recorded a whole album over the period of COVID. He could have released it as an album, but instead it's three EPs. He makes a little more money that way. That's fine. <laughs> and I think the idea of an album is an old idea. You could put out one song at a time. And I know several people who do. And then the other thing he commented on to the question, are you ever going to retire? He says, no, I'm going to keep going until I just can't hold the sticks anymore. I'm glad. Yeah, if you're having fun doing it. There's no reason to stop. <laughs> right. Those were the two big items which came out of his press conference at Casino Rama. The show, according to most people, is more or less the same as his last all-star show. He started to do Octopus's Garden, though. And this is the first time he did Octopus's Garden with the Roundheads, but he's replaced Don't Pass Me By with that in the all-star show. Ah. So it's not brand new for him live but it is new as a part of the all-star band 
Is he doing the new material, Change the World? No, he's not doing any of that. Oh, that's too bad. Nothing off the last couple EPs, shall we say. Well, that's interesting because, you know, the normal thinking is you go out and you perform to plug your new recordings. And if you're not even going to play them, you're not really doing that. Paul did Women and Wise and Soundcheck. He did not do it in the show. He's sometimes doing it in the show, but that's his only representation from McCartney 3 and half the time you don't even get it what's with these 80 year old guys <laughs> maybe they just don't want to record any bad covers hey what a segue i can do segues <laughs> they may not be good i don't know how quality that was but it worked all right we're going to talk about covers that is our topic for the week we're talking about solo beatles covers the four individual beatles have done a fair number of covers some better than others. Yes. And some quite good and some rather bad. Indeed. So what we're going to do is we're going to list a couple covers from each of the four. And then we're also going to have the overall favorite and least favorite covers that one or the other of the Beatles have done at various times through the years. Right. Let's start with John. John is the hardest one to pin down because, well, I mean, really until we got the disc and plastic Ono band, other than the rock and roll album, he hadn't done a whole lot of covers. Right. You get the rock and roll album, you get Yeah, Yeah. What else? I don't think John really did any other covers. <laughs> That's it. So, uh, you know, that, that makes things a little bit easy. For the best cover from John, the one that I like the most, it's the hit, it's Stand By Me. It's a good song when the opening guitars kick in. That's iconic in a way. Yeah, it's a lot rockier than the Benny King version. And really, both of them are top-notch versions of the song. Different, and it's not overburdened by the Spectre production. Right. He uses that rock voice that everybody loves so well. You know, I, I feel like I understand better ha after seeing Get Back because, you know, he's very conscious that he has to do a certain thing to get that voice. Uh, and it takes a lot out of him. And as we get to my least favorite, we'll discuss when that goes wrong. <laughs> right. What was your pick? My favorite is Since My Baby Left Me. I like it for a couple of reasons it's an arthur crudup song it's that weird song melodically it's very similar to another arthur crudup song which is that's all right mama and that's kind of paul's song and this is john's version of that melody and i really like his performance he again that voice that he uses and there's this kind of familiar club atmosphere because there's answer backs It feels right. Yeah, it could have been on the Beach Boys party album. <laughs> or I could have actually seen Lennon doing that with the Beatles. Yeah, oh yes. He is fond of the song. Apparently recorded it privately and in the studio. It sounds great. So it's 
easily my favorite. Oh, very cool. And then my alternate was the Elvis parody off of the Plastic Ono bandbox. Not because it's a particularly great performance, but just because, you know, normally it's Paul who does the Elvis voice. Here's John doing it <laughs> right. and having just such a blast, both making fun of the Elvisisms and paying tribute at the same time. Yeah, very much paying tribute. It's great to hear him do these songs because these are the songs that he loved. And you can tell he does his youthful uh, interpretation of these songs, you know, when he first learned them. My alternate favorite was You Can't Catch Me. That's a great track. It's obviously the inspiration for Come Together, but this version is a loving tribute to that song. And he managed to not resent Morris Levy. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah, he could have gone all how do you sleep on it if he'd wanted to. This is true. I, I really like that one. On the negative side, for me, we could have picked any one of the Spectre tracks off of rock and roll because for the most part, he just ruins John's vocal with the whole wall of sound thing. Yeah. The Lennon half is pretty good, although, you know, even something like Peggy Sue, I think John could have done a much better job with it. For sure. And so what's your least favorite? So the one that I don't like as much, in part because of the Spectre production, in part because there's an outtake which is just not good, it's the worst of Lost Weekend, John Lennon, that's just because. Are you talking about the drunken version? Yeah, well, I'm I'm talking a bit about both, but yes, the drunken version in particular, where John in the intro, uh, horribly sexist, although it's very, very funny. I want to take all the new singers. Carol. And the other one, and the nipples. I want to take them, hold them tight. All them people that James Taylor had. I want to suck your nipples, baby. Whenever I'm so tired He wants to have all them women that James Taylor had, presumably referring to Carol King and Carly Simon, and he calls Carly Simon the one with the nipples. That would be Carly. <laughs> Don't leave out Joni Mitchell. She was in there for a while. No secrets. That was the album that uh, that he's referring yeah. to. And then, then he proceeds to go on and say that he'll be all right with a little bit more cocaine. And who wouldn't be? The backing is the Spectre backing. John is just having the hardest time getting through the song and even on the proper version the sober version if you will he's not singing great no not one of my favorite songs and certainly not one of my favorite performances it's a little bit better on the remix they did where they managed to strip away some of the specterisms but it's still not a great performance Right. So, okay, you're minus there. Well, you talk about not a great performance. My least favorite is Mailman Bring Me No More Blues, which I think is terrible. 
song's all right, but yeah, I mean, well, the, the, okay. the Beatles certainly never managed to do anything with it during the Get Back sessions. Yeah, his vocal is terrible. I mean, he barely croaks it out. I'm surprised it made it on any recording, whether it was the anthology or the sessions or, you know, it was just terrible. And then as far as release stuff goes, I don't really like the version of Hound Dog that he did live with Elephant's Memory. Yeah. It's okay, but John could do Elvis as the, the, the Elvis parody shows, and he wasn't doing it real well there. Right. Not a great one either. But we only get to pick one really bad one. <laughs> well, we can mention other things while we're, while we're going here. <laughs> right. Now, Paul, he likes to go back to the old stuff, but he's also done a number of covers not on Kisses on the Bottom or the Russian album or Run Devil Run. He's sprinkled covers throughout his career, mostly on tribute albums and various other things, but but he still even released some on the Wings albums. Right. Love is Strange in particular. Yeah. And if you want to count Wings, you know, there's... Uh, Richard Corey. <laughs> There's that too, yes. Which is a good version, but not one of my favorites. We'll let Denny handle that. Right. Just as an aside, I just saw the Todd Rundgren, Denny Lane, Joey Mullen show with, with our good friend Darren Murphy. They came through town just before the McCartney show. It's a good show, but Denny really shouldn't be claiming Band on the Run as his own. <laughs> he uses that as one of his solo spot songs. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, you're doing go now. I would have rather him just do Richard Corey. Yeah. Or know that you never wrote. Now, I mean, you know, it's not big songs or Spirits of Ancient Egypt for that matter, but they're your songs. Right. Not to take away any of Danny's credit. Okay, amongst my favorites of the McCartney covers, partial to your abracadabra. I don't love the original, but I love Paul's cover of it. Right. Ian Dury and the Blockheads, they never really made much of a dent here, did they? No, I think their biggest hit was Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Yeah, that's one that we might be familiar with. But in England, they were a pretty big act. If you have never heard of them, think Morrissey back by the Ramones. <laughs> right. Ian Dury was a very sort of flamboyant Morrissey-like character. Yeah, bridging punk and new wave, kind of, you know. And Paul and Linda were both very big fans. There's a really nice story about that. Ian Dury died of cancer. While he wasn't penniless, he wasn't exactly rich during the time that he was sick. He was in and out of the hospital. And one day at home, he gets a phone call. And this is Paul McCartney. It's the usual, oh, go on, pull the other one. It's got bells on it. And so they went back and forth. And then finally, he accepted, yes, this is Paul. And Paul was like, give me your address. I'd like to come and visit with you. Then so he did. Paul came by and visited. This was 
after Linda had passed, and it was like, here's a list of doctors, specialists that Linda went to. They might be able to help you. And, and he's like, well, well, I can't afford it. And well, Paul just kind of goes, well, you know, they work on vouchers. And he handed them a sealed envelope. Here's some vouchers for you. So you know, he, he took the envelope. He opened it up. It's a check for a million pounds. There's your vouchers. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those sides of Paul he doesn't like to talk about. Right. But as far as the song, the original is, again, to make the Morrissey comparison, it's a little slow and a little lovelorn, I would call it. And Paul turns it into a hot pop song. And he's backed by the original Blockheads. That's cool. Both for that story and for the cover, that is one of my favorites. Ah, well, my top song is The Vipers, No Other Baby. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about that. It's a great cover off of Run, Devil, Run and the George Martin involvement, of course. Right. He sings it with passion. I highly recommend the video. It just really seems like a statement for him from a song that dates in the mid 50s it's very emotional it's nostalgic without relying on the nostalgia right nostalgia is not the point most people wouldn't have even heard of this record before right and in the small world thing the vipers were produced by george martin there's a story that paul called up george martin and say oh yeah and i discovered that you produced this track and george martin was like Yes, yes, Paul, I remember that. And he proceeded to sing a little bit of the song. So George Martin, his memory was sharp as a tack. Right. My backup is also off that album. It's the Let's Have a Party. It's Paul when he was still top of his game with his rock and roll voice. Yeah, great voice on that. But, you know, the truth is he's in better voice on that album than almost any other album he's done. I mean, he hits every single song on that album when he needs to scream he screams and even to the point where you know he wrote run devil run that's a great rock and roll song rock and roll you know you either just do it or you don't and he wrote a song called she said yeah both of those songs very much feel like the era that they're supposed to belong to it matches up well with everything else on the record yeah without going into pastiche it is a wholly original McCartney song. It's kind of like I'm Down in that way. Yes, totally. Although I'm Down is maybe a little bit too Little Richard. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yes, no, whatever. Yeah. Okay, did you have a second one? or I, I did, uh, and it's from the Russian LP. It's I Don't Get Around Much Anymore. I miss the Saturday dance. I might have come and what for. He's done that a little bit more bluesy. He's done that a little bit more rocky. And he's even sort of done some pop versions. He's done it a lot of different ways through the years. Clearly a song he likes. Oh, absolutely. Good melody. As a matter of fact, he did a song called My Ever-Present Past. Melody's very close. He took inspiration from it, you know. As far as a song which we didn't mention that that I like, I don't know if you like um, Midnight Special. He's done that through the years. I mean, you have to love it because, well, mentioned Sugarland and mentions Houston. So, you know, we have to mention that in this show. Right. But it's a great song. For sure. That's one that goes back to 50s folks. Uh, now, the negative, Paul did a cover for a Buddy Holly tribute album. He actually did two covers. I mean, he did, he, the, the iTunes version, I like a lot. It's a very traditional cover. Well, it's so easy to fall in love. It's so easy. 
but the one that he chose for the album is he's he's rocked it up and it's almost a punk rendition of it not quite but almost and it just doesn't work Okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Here's the thing. When I went to pick the song that I really didn't like, McCartney's covers, uh, there wasn't one. I might not like a particular song that he chose, you know, just not going, well, you know, that's not a favorite of mine, but every performance is good. And so I wrote down originally Movie Mag because I didn't, I wasn't crazy for the song. You know, some of these are, it's not that we dislike them. When we, when we get to the George, uh, covers the one that i chose is not because i disliked it it's because it doesn't fit real well right right so, so th that's kind of what you're saying about movie mag yeah so you know that would be the one i would pick but it's not that i really think he did a lousy version of it because he didn't well what i will say about it's so easy is not a terrible version it's just not the way i hear the song and that i would really care to hear the song right the arrangement more than anything else is not my favorite well for me you know if, if you were to go well there's a paul mccartney song that's bad and mailman bring me no more blues from john that one is just bad <laughs> yeah uh, yeah well, all right now you're ready about half past eight but you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna take you out baby yeah and by about half past nine we're gonna be down by the old juke joint man we're gonna be playing them records we're gonna be dancing man we're gonna have such fun because it's so easy Even this cover is nowhere near the worst cover that one of the solo Beatles have done. <laughs> right. George, I will say that I have reserved a George tune for the absolute favorite cover. There, there's a little hint for you. It's, it's coming up in a little bit here. But my second favorite George cover is Really Love You off of the Gone Tropo album for a lot of the same reasons you were just talking about with, with the Vipers cover. It's an oldie, which George clearly loved. It's funny, and George is singing very well on it. Right. right. And I love the, the whole backing, you know, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It's just great. And then my alternate, it is a George song, but it's a Wilbury song, their cover of Nobody's Child. You know, I love Dylan doing that. Yeah, that's a great... Uh... It's one of their lesser-known tracks. Olivia had a project for War Orphans. Romanian Angel Relief, I believe, was the name of it. And so, well, I mean, guess what, kids? We're going to have another stream of War Orphans here pretty soon. Yeah, no kidding. So Olivia said, well, George, can you give us something? And George did indeed give her something. Uh, he gave her one of the SNL outtakes. And then it's like, well, can we get an original? And George got the Wilburys together. And it's a good song. It's a song that has... Beatle connections, again, without being blatant about it. Ringo sang this at family parties, and the Beatles did it with Tony Sheridan. So 
for all those reasons, it's a cover that I like. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when George picks the cover songs he does, there's a real emotional thing there that comes through because the one I picked is exactly for the reasons you mentioned. And that's uh, true love. The Cole Porter true love. Yeah. I think it was on 33 and a third, much more of a ballad. I think Bing Crosby sang it originally. Yeah, George had a little bit of that in him. He liked to do the pre-rock and roll songs. Yeah, Hoagie Carmichael. Now you're the one who's bringing in the segues because there are two Hoagie Carmichael tracks on Somewhere in England that's probably one too many. So if I had to choose between the two, I'd say Hong Kong Blues probably doesn't really belong. Baltimore Oriole is a track I like. It's an okay production, but it's a little bit weak, but I don't dislike it. George really didn't do many bad covers or even covers whose arrangements I disagree with. Right. Well, I had my second choice for George would be the honorary mention of My Sweet Lord. (laughs) Okay. Yes. You know, it is a copy song, (laughs) but my actual choice was If Not For You. Dylan song? Yeah, great version. And it's actually his version of the song that Olivia Newton-John made a hit. And then he did it live at Bob Fest, which is also a really great version of it. Yeah. You know, to hear him do it live. Right. Very cool. And then do you have a, a minus here? Uh, the minus would be Bye Bye Love. I'll spill it. That is my worst okay. cover. <laughs> yeah. There was an alternate choice there, which <laughs> we'll talk about, but... That serves as, yes, George was depressed. The He turned it into a dirge, and it's, there goes my lady with someone new. I hope she's happy and clapper, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We'll see what you have to say about the absolute worst, if I don't name it first. Okay. That moves us on to Ringo. Ringo's had a number of good covers. We actually did a show on most of Ringo's 50s covers, and we decided that Keep Forgetting it was one of the really great ones. I didn't put it on the list here, but we both really liked that a whole lot from his uh, Old Wave album. Right. That was a good song. Now, the one I did choose, much like Partial to Your Abracadabra, I kind of like when they do newer songs, when they don't just go back to 50s songs. Off of Time Takes Time, Ringo did a Posey song called Golden Blunders. It's got really timely lyrics. Four weeks seem like a long time then, but nine months is longer now. And even if you never speak again, you've already made the wedding vow. You're gonna watch what you say for a long time, boy. You're gonna suffer the Right. This was the beginning of the rebirth of Ringo. It's very much in his range. He sings it very well. And then the backing is also both Beatly and not Beatly at the same time. Right. It's a Beatles like sound, but with enough accessions made to what the music industry sounded like in the early 90s. So thumbs up on that for me. Absolutely. My choice is 
probably the most popular of one of his covers, Hoyt Axton's The No-No Song. Ah, yes. Performance is good. The humor is good. It's a good Ringo song. And then, of course, there's the weird irony that he was performing that when he was at his worst with drug and alcohol addiction. There's a TV show performance of him with Hoyt Axton doing it, and Ringo is just blitzed out of his mind. <laughs> I felt like it was a joke when I heard it in 1975. His reputation was not unknown, so it was a joke then. And then it became serious when he actually played it with the All-Stars. You know, it actually meant something to him at that point in time. And you could tell that, too. It was a little bit less lighthearted, maybe not to the better of the song, but he performed it truly from what was inside of him at that point when he was doing it on stage. Right. Had a meaning for his life. My second song, Don't Be Cruel. You wouldn't think that Ringo could do Elvis as well. The backing is close to being a copy of Elvis's original, and Ringo nails the vocal. It's great. And the drums, Ringo's drumming is perfect on the song that's cool well i chose only you Starts off just like Stand By Me, basically. And, uh... Both have John connections. John was the one who chose that for Ringo, right? John's the one who said, you'd do a good cover of that. Yes. John knew Ringo's voice. John absolutely knew what was exactly right for Ringo to sing. In a way that nobody else ever could have. Had Ringo kept John Lennon as his producer through the 70s, his career would have just kept sailing along. Because John could pick songs and John could produce Ringo perfectly. Yeah, he understood him. Then on the minus side for me... Ringo's cover of Where Did Our Love Go? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> why is he trying to do a Shirelle song? Well, is there a problem with that? Ringo just doesn't have the voice for it. It's of the disco era. Again, it's got arrangement problems. What? I think Ringo probably just wasn't even part of the arrangement. It's, he walked in, do this, okay, then he did it. Yeah, that was when he was definitely being produced. Yeah, the Richard Perry, Arif Martin era. Yeah. That was Ringo in L.A. and party every night Ringo. The result here does not sound good. And the way that whole record is mixed sounds like sludge. So it's not a good version and it's like <laughs> buried. Right. <laughs> so you didn't really like it. <laughs> no, I didn't really like it. It comes close to Bye Bye Love. One of those two is my choice for uh, worst uh, solo Beatles cover. Yeah. Well, my, my least favorite is by a famous songwriter, 
Elton John. You don't like Snookeroo. I don't like Snookeroo at all. Wow. <laughs> I like Snookeroo. Do you? You know, I don't love it, but it's, it's a neat little pop song. Is that really a cover? Elton did a version of it, but do we want to consider that a cover or is that a song that Elton gave away? We'll have to check the album songs Elton gave away. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, the demo has definitely come out on bootleg. I don't know if Elton has ever actually released his version of the song. Nonetheless. Yeah. Well, Ringo didn't write it. <laughs> it is an Elton John and Bernie Taupin song. It's a little bit like I'm the greatest part two. You know, I was born in the north of England. I was raised in a working town. I broke all the rules when I went to school, but the teachers couldn't pin me down. I tried to make my parents proud by adapting to the social powers. Oh, pigs will fly and the earth will fry when they get me doing honest hours. I will agree it sounds like lesser Elton John, but it's not out of Ringo's range and the performance is okay to me. Well, I'll accept that, but it won't. It won't be on your favorites list. No, you can't make me, Ed. <laughs> I'm not trying to make you. I'm not trying to do anything. I'll, I'll do what you want me to do and I won't do what you don't want me to do. Well, that sounds a little creepy. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, all right. So what are we down to? We're down to the absolute best and the absolute worst uh, or our absolute favorite and absolute least favorite of the solo Beatles cover songs. You know, I hate to go all commercial on you, but got my mind set on you. Top cover from any of the solo Beatles. George took a slightly weird song with a good basis and turned it into a rock and roll tour de force. That's fair enough. It's one of my nephew's favorite songs, so it's good. <laughs> and that's separate from all the Beatles nostalgia and the fact that he picked up the James Ray record in 63 when he was visiting his sister and all of that. But the original is such a, the song is good, but it goes off in all sorts of weird directions. I believe George said on Rockline at the time, sorry, but we took out the bit with the screaming girls. And, and there really is a bit with screaming girls in the middle of the original record. Turning it into a straight verse, chorus, verse, it works. I'll take it. Certainly by that time, he knew how to make a record. And Jeff Lynne was there, and the band in general was happy to play on it, and they all knew it. That's the other story about that song, is that George just started messing around the chords, and the band just fell in line behind him. Like, we all know this song. Although, why they all knew the song, I'm not sure. It wasn't a hit. It was just a single. It was one of those A and B side where they split the song across both sides of the single. Yeah, but is this American performance or you know, on the UK charts? I don't think it charted on either side of the pond. The James Ray version? 
the album did a little bit, but I don't think the, the single ever did anything. Asking how a bunch of guys might have heard it. I know there are songs that were kind of hits in the clubs in Britain that weren't well known here. What was that one song? Daddy Rolling Stone. So, you know, songs would be really popular in the clubs and all the musicians would know it, but I don't know. The story is that George was looking for another song and then he stumbled upon the opening chords and the rest of the band just knew it. Right. Then they sat down and worked out the arrangement and everything. He, he went with Jeff Lynne back and said, oh, well, we do this and do that. And okay, we'll get it. And then, as already mentioned, my absolute worst, George's Bye Bye Love. It's not quite a travesty. That's one of the few that I would genuinely say, I dislike this version of the song. Yeah. Uh, as with Ringo's version of the Sherelle song, skip. That's one of those songs you go, why am I listening to this? <laughs> you're either listening to the Beatles channel and they do occasionally play it, or you've got, you're just going through the rotation and you know, you've got shuffle on and it comes up. It's like, no, I'm not going to listen to this now. My best would have to be something we've mentioned before. That stand by me. John did a great cover of that. I think the Benny King is still probably a little bit more iconic, and that may have to do with the film. It could be. The Benny King version is definitely easier to play. The John version is hard to play. Well, there you go. I've learned the baseline to the Benny King version, but trying to transpose that around to the John version, it gets it starts to get a little bit more difficult. Who played the bass on that? You know, John's version or yeah, uh, James Jamerson played the on the original, right. didn't he? Uh, yeah, probably. It may have been Klaus who was playing on John's version, although I'm not sure. Well, that would be my f top. And then my least favorite cover is It's Johnny's Birthday. <laughs> okay, we'll give you that. We did have that whole discussion back when we reviewed the All Things Must Pass box. That right. It was a popular song at the time? or Yes, it was a Cliff richard's song called congratulations 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 and you know it's, it's the same melody george just changed it up and then when he chose to release it he took credit originally and then the songwriters behind cliff's version sent some nasty grams around and they eventually got their credit right and a pretty check i'm sure but they didn't get the percentage of all things must pass that they wanted but uh, they did get paid off i'm sure they were looking for you know one thirtieth of the revenue from all things must pass well the jam disc doesn't really count you just see the lawyers in court going well your honor nobody listens to this album we can accept that as the absolute worst cover although again they're kind of having fun doing it oh yeah yeah probably substance inspired fun but they're having fun doing it you know, you're jumping to conclusions. They were just high on Krishna. Dadgrass. <laughs> they were enjoying some of that mellow 60s style smoke. Not at all like what people have these days. Nothing of the Snoop variety. <laughs> so, you know, I think they've done a lot of good covers. And, you know, we could probably switch up some of these if we wanted to. Between Paul and Ringo... There's a whole bunch of covers, and George managed to squeeze pretty much one on every album. Right. And there may have been more covers as the years passed, but unfortunately, both musicians were taken way too young. This is true. And, well, we might get more covers through the years as we get some of the sessions for 
the various albums as both John and George's deluxe boxes come out. You know, there may be a cover buried in there. Like with the Elvis parody cover, there might be a cover version, which while it's not finished, is just, wow, why didn't they do something with that? Because we never know. You know, you look at John's history of what he would go back and play all the way from Plastic Ono Band through to Double Fantasy, you would choose to jam on the same 20 or 30 songs. Something which, well, is the same with Paul. I mean, we were talking about the soundcheck thing. He picks the number of songs that he likes and that work in soundcheck, and those are the ones he plays, even though he could go off and play practically anything. Yeah, I think there comes a point where it's like you're not really learning new oldies. You're just kind of playing what you know, what you're comfortable with. So let's see. Well, we got a little bit of time. Let's just do the Beatles thing real quickly, and we can come back to it at some point in the future if we want to. Favorite cover, Twist and Shout. You know, I hate to be pedestrian, but it's great. John's vocal, Paul, George, and John trading off with the Oz. You know, I love it. It's good. It's iconic. It's Twist and Shout. My favorite is You Really Got a Hold on Me. Brilliant. It's just a great arrangement the fun of the song is there that would be my top as we're learning from the bbc sessions they were much more r&b influenced than a lot of people will think you know mick likes to say oh the beatles were just a pop band no they weren't they were doing more for the black artists than the stones were i mean the stones were much more old school blues yeah chess and all that but you listen to anna (laughs) that is such a great record well arthur alexander yep absolutely they had a lot of soul the beatles now as far as least favorite a lot of people will say mr moonlight but i kind of like the cheesiness of mr moonlight right well i learned the secret behind mr moonlight from mark lewison's book and it made sense but it doesn't make sense on a record necessarily and what he said was they used it as a set opener with the scream and everything so you you come you come back on stage and silence and all, all of a sudden john going mister that's how they started it and you can see that that would be very effective in a live setting as a record it doesn't have the same impact instantly since we're talking about set openers can't buy me love is not a great set opener it just kind of lies there a little bit. I never thought Hard Day's Night was a particularly great set opener, but it starts with that chord, which makes it work. Coming out, Can't Buy Me Love. It's a, eh. I really would have rather he's either go back to Drive My Car or Magical Mystery Tour or start the show with possibly the greatest set opener ever, Venus and Mars Rock Show. I've never seen anything that tops that as a perfect song to come out and play at the very beginning of a show. Maybe Mr. Moonlight, I guess. (laughs) Put it there. (laughs) That's not going to work right there. So, so, like you say, I've got some appreciation for Mr. Moonlight. I'm going to go a little bit against the grain and say Dizzy Miss Lizzie is probably, the help version of Dizzy Miss Lizzie is probably one of my least, not that it's a bad song, not that I dislike it, but, you know, the guitar starts to grate ever so slightly. Yeah. Just as advice, that song sounds a lot better cranked to 10 when it's loud you kind of get it the hollywood bowl version i like a whole lot better than i like the recorded version right if i want to hear that john lennon rock and roll thing give me bad boy dizzy miss lizzie it's okay but it's just okay yeah i agree with that okay and so did you have one which you 
don't care for as much? The absolute worst. I'm going to get flack for this, but it would be Devil in Her Heart. Really? Okay. The Donays. It is probably one of the lesser girl group songs that they decided to do. It has always struck me as being kind of hokey. When the Beatles were so cool, it just had this edge about them. That song was like, really? That's never changed for me. I kind of agree. If you go back and you look at what they might have done, again, I would have liked to have seen them do a studio version of Sheila. It would have been a George song. It, it would have been kind of a Buddy Holly tribute. But, you know, again, they would pick and choose how they want to do the arrangement a little bit. So it's not nearly so over the top as the original record was. That could have been a really great record. Probably a better record than Devil in Her Heart. Crying, Waiting, Hoping would be... Any of the Chuck Berry covers that they didn't do. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about that on our BBC run. They were so good at all of them. Yeah, I'm sorry we didn't get a version of Soldier of Love or those early things. Marshall Crenshaw's Soldier of Love. I love that cover of a cover. He is clearly covering the Beatles version of Soldier of Love. Some other guy. Yeah, I'm not so sure why they never actually did that. On record. Yeah, that would have been a good one. And Talking About You. God, that's a good song. And their version of it is so great. Too Much Monkey Business. Oh my gosh. Where are we going with this? <laughs> In that year-long period from mid-62 to mid-63, when they were really thinking about doing covers, kind of pre-Hard Day's Night. I mean, you know, Beatles for Sale, they did covers because, well, they just didn't have enough original material. I think if Beatles for Sale had been... A month later, they would have been able to fill it with original material. A month later, yeah, they would have had Ticket to Ride. and If the schedule were such that they had gone into the studio a month later, Beatles for Sale would have been an all-original album. So, you know, there was really a 12-month period from the Please Please Me sessions through to the end of some of the EP sessions where covers were a big part of what they were putting down on record. And George Martin had the trust in them by that point to allow them to do all their own material. That would be an interesting show, Ed, where we talk about, okay, so if they did wait an extra month on Beatles for Sale and took some of those help songs, that would have skewered the entire songwriting process and we'd have completely different albums. <laughs> Besides the completely different albums we got in America anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we'd have to rename them. Any, any last comments? Uh, I think we've, uh, we've just about worn out this subject for now. They really have a lot more good covers than bad covers. So if you haven't ever checked it out, the rock and roll album is great. Yeah, the three solid cover albums are all great. You're less of a fan of Kisses on the Bottom, but it's performed well no matter what you think of the songs themselves and how Paul is doing it. And the same can really be said of Sentimental Journey. Ringo has a couple stinkers on there, but in general, I'd say the album is very much worth a listen. Right. The top album, in my opinion, would be Run Devil Run. Of all the cover albums, although I really like the Russian album. It's kind of looser than Run Devil Run. It was really was just the rehearsals that were not meant to see the light of day. Right. In closing here, do you think that the Beatles should have done an all-covers album. We were just saying that if we move Beatles for Sale forward a little bit and make that an all-originals album, what if there had been an all-covers album, say, between with the Beatles and either Hard Day's Night or Beatles for Sale? They were kind of thinking that with the EPs, with the, like the Long Toss Alley EP. 
Well, you know, there were songs in there. Leave My Kitten Alone is kind of in that period. Do you think that would have been a good idea? If we're going to move Beatles for Sale forward a month, there would have been demand from the record company for an extra album in there. So I was like, okay, we'll give them an album of all covers. I don't think it would have served them well at that point in their careers because it really was about, at that point, Lennon and McCartney. But when they came to the Get Back Project, I think they could have focused more on that original idea of doing a bunch of covers. I mean, they, that was considered for a while. It never came to fruition, but you know, the idea that they take a lot of the covers that they did in the studio and, and somehow put an album out, that might have been a good time to do that. Yeah, except that they were so kind of lazy on a lot of the Get Back covers. This version of Save the Last Dance for me, it's a shame because that could have been a great version of the song and instead it's just kind of the same noodling around which we get through a lot of the get back session yeah they would have had to put some focus into it which they never accomplished but i think that was part of what they were thinking at the time so that's where i would have placed the covers album post white album pre uh, again if we move abbey road forward a little bit we move abbey road into 1970 and oh, geez, uh, Get Back is not ready. Maybe they would just put a little bit of discipline in and record a covers album while they're doing the Let It Be thing. That's my idea. I'll talk to Paul about it. (laughs) He doesn't even remember what the original idea was for Let It Be. (laughs) Right. Well, since we wandered off the covers track and are wandering around Get Back land, I did want to mention something from the McCartney show. So there was a special video cut by Peter Jackson for Paul playing Get Back, beyond him playing with John, there are several scenes in there that I'm 95% sure were not in Get Back anywhere. I saw you mention that in your video. The the live thing. That's really kind of interesting. There's a couple of them which are just like Mal and Ringo sort of looking up into the camera, and I can see why that might have been cut. There was another one, which is one of my favorite shots out of the Get Back book. The anvil was being used as an ashtray for a while in the middle of Apple Studios. Uh, and there's a photo in the book. This is an anvil, not an ashtray, and it's you know, <laughs> covered with cigarette ashes. But I didn't remember ever seeing that in the film. And there's a snippet of footage of just the camera going down over the anvil and showing that sign. It's like, oh. Right. Have the DVD versions been going out? They have a new release date. The official release of the DVD version is going to be this next week, I believe. I did get mine off of the original back when it was first supposed to be released. I'm one of the fortunate ones who got an eBayable version, although I didn't eBay it, with the defective 7.1 stereo. Right. But there really isn't anything special about this Blu-ray DVD. There's no extras. There's no nothing. Right. It's just the film. Well, you know, that kind of move is interesting to me because... Certainly, Peter Jackson, by now, is aware of the the group of people out in the world who are willing to look at every bit and maybe go home and say, hey, there was footage in that concert that wasn't in, get back. And so now there's knowledge that there's footage still out there. Why isn't it being added? Are they going to do something with it? And that's not Peter Jackson's decision. I mean, 
He's gone on record in several of the live things he did. He he did a live thing to the folks at the fest earlier this year. Uh, he did a, a live thing before the theatrical showing of the rooftop, and then he did a couple podcasts. Not ours, but he did do a couple podcasts. And kind of in all of them, he said, I absolutely want probably the 15-hour version to come out. We've done and prepped everything short of color correcting and doing the final sound on it. All that has to happen from Apple and or Disney is to write us a check and we'll deliver it to them. And well, as far as we know, that hasn't happened yet because Disney... They say they're not in the business of deluxe editions, whereas, you know, I'm going to say, look, you put this out, you sell it for $99 retail, people are going to buy it. But it's not Peter Jackson's decision. It's the powers that be. Now, whether Apple is in agreement or whether Apple is having a disagreement with Disney, how far do Disney's rights extend we don't know any of those legal things. Right. Well, if extra footage is considered competing with the Disney footage, I could see that there would be a time delay. All we can do is hope that there are discussions, much like we hope that the discussions on the Sometime in New York City box get settled sometime soon. And we hear about the release date of whatever incarnation that box may take in the next few months because, well, if they're going to get it out for October and or Christmas, right. the announcement has to happen sometime soon. Right. And to bring this back around to covers, you were talking about True Love that reminded me of one of George's other favorite covers, Your True Love. And he played that many times with Carl Perkins. Right. I, I like that. And there's that just lovely version that he did at Carl's funeral. It's weird to say, but in the true sense of a celebration of life, George attended and they invited him up and you know George said a few words and then he said, well... Carl would want us to sing and play and someone handed him a guitar and he, he got the whole congregation there and in, into singing your true love. It's a personal private moment, but it's on YouTube. <laughs> that funny. So, you know, you, you can have it both ways, I guess kind of some random discussion, but our, we did, we did get through our main topic here. We, ha- well, I think we had some interesting thoughts on covers of the solo Beatles. And then, you know, like you say, at some point we may actually do, Maybe somewhere in one of these BBC shows we'll do a a more in-depth look at some of the covers the Beatles did, both studio and non-studio. Yeah. So, All right, and so you'll be back next week, and then you'll be gone for a couple weeks. So our old friend, uh, co-host Lonnie Pena will be back, and Kid O'Toole has promised she'll show up for at least one of those shows, maybe both. Well, I'll have to listen in. Are you driving? Yes. Okay, so you'll be on the road, and you'll have... Plenty of time to listen to podcasts. That's true. Until your son says, turn that off. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back with a new show next week. All right. Bye, guys. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
the best part of any show is, <laughs> is the cast party. And since our official policy here is to share not only our music, but our madness with you, we thought we'd have our cast party right now so you could join us. Um, we're going to have a good time. I hope you do. This is what we do after we do what we do when we do the show. I'd uh, like to introduce a good friend of mine who has a single out now that I happen to have written. Thank you, Lord, for the pennies. Uh, the song is called The No-No Song, and the man with a hit is Ringo Starr. tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going.